Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular, or at least their sense of it. They can only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Now, it feels like we have been stuck in a world where the cost of medical care keeps increasing and with little in return, where government assistance programs like Medicare and Medicaid cover more services and more people, and no one sounds satisfied. So what is going on? How did we get here? And what is the Overton window for medical policy? Uh, Today, we are joined by Brian Blaze, the president of the Paragon Health Institute, to shed some light on this issue. Brian, welcome. Great to be with you, James. So is my summary of these trends correct? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, there are people that are satisfied with the healthcare sector. So if you ask people on Medicare whether they value the Medicare program, the vast majority would say that they do. Um, if you ask people on Medicaid, uh, many of them would say they do. If you ask people that have employer-sponsored insurance, um, many of them would be satisfied with their employer coverage. I think um, we've done a pretty good job of suppressing uh, who pays for uh, all the healthcare spending. We've dispersed so much of the cost to taxpayers um, and employees don't know how much they're actually paying, that they pay the full share of the premium. The employer is not paying a portion of the premium. Um, uh, So I do think there is frustration with the healthcare sector clearly um, and people are frustrated by rising costs uh, probably more than any other aspect of it. Um, but there are people who um, have obtained benefits through government programs, uh, a perceived benefit through employer plans that like what they have, which makes uh, changing uh, the healthcare sector politically difficult. Well, let's talk about that frustration, because I think that's going to be some of the, the main concerns. I mean, People are worried that the costs of this system are going to rise far beyond anything's ability to pay, at least for the for the longest time that I've been around. Like that's been this huge concern with this idea that maybe something will change that cost curve and it just hasn't happened yet. So what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, uh, just a few weeks ago, there was a survey of employer plans and about half of all Americans uh, get their coverage through uh, an employer, either their own employer or the employer of a family member. Um, And those premiums uh, increased uh, 7% from the previous year. So the average uh, premium is is closing in on $25,000. Uh, And I think people are getting increasingly frustrated with uh, high healthcare costs too, because the deductibles, the deductible is the amount that an individual has to pay before the plan starts uh, reimbursing medical expenses. The deductibles are increasing. Um, So more Americans are actually feeling um, the high costs of medical care. 
Well, I mean, I, I want to talk about that a little bit because it feels like the complexity of the insurance product that we are getting have just increased astronomically, you know, in the past in the past forty years, and in, and it covers a complicated sector. Normal insurance is. I have this possibility for this financial risk. I want to get covered for that financial risk. And it seems like the insurance that we have doesn't really do that. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but it feels more like you're buying this pre-arranged pool of goods that you're sharing with, with the other people in your insurance pool. Or am I thinking about this completely wrong? No, I think you're spot on. I mean, health insurance is not a typical insurance product. So you think of typical insurance products, life insurance, uh, homeowner's insurance, your car insurance, you are protecting yourself against financial ruin, right? A very low probability event. Um, and obviously we, that's present in healthcare. Like you can get involved in an accident, um, you could develop a very expensive medical condition like cancer um, that is a relatively low probability but carries high financial cost. But uh, a large part of uh, what health insurance also does is, like you mentioned, it's the prepayment of medical services. Um, it is the individual um, sort of giving uh, up the negotiating and control to a third party, whether that third party be a government bureaucracy, um, a health insurance company, or an employer. Um, and that is fundamentally what makes healthcare so much different than every other sector of the economy is that the consumer isn't in control of the financing. So when you say that individuals have given up control over negotiating their benefits, it seems like that should be, at least in theoretically, a good thing for them. Like you put it in the hands of insurers who are experts in what things cost and, 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 and can and can uh, understand like you know how much these things get used and set and more and be better able to set the terms of uh, of service than an individual can. But I feel like it that things have just gotten more complicated, more uh, bureaucratized, and less friendly and less costly, or sorry, and less friendly to the customer. Yeah, I mean, you have all these rules now set up because people aren't spending their own money. People aren't directly price conscious, right? Because a third party payer, whether a government program uh, or the insurance company is paying the uh, medical expenses for the most part. So then you have to set up a whole bunch of rules, um, whether it be from things like prior authorization, where the doctor has to check in with the insurance company over whether something that the doctor um, thinks is in the best interest of the patient, whether that's um, allowable or not, um, to the government role in um, establishing which services get reimbursed and at the reimbursement rate. So if you think of the economics of price controls, uh, right, price controls, uh, the price can be set too high above the market price, it can be set too low. Um, uh, and when it's if it's set too high or too low, you have problems, right? You can have shortages uh, or you have um, uh, surpluses where too much is going into a, a certain area. But you've got all this sort of economic uh, dislocations and chaos. And the uh, American healthcare sector is um, characterized. One of the central features is that a federal bureaucracy in Washington D.C. decides what gets reimbursed and what the reimbursement prices are. 
that's through the Medicare program. Um, and private insurers, uh, which I think is a, is a real problem, have tended to just go with Medicare's reimbursement uh, uh, rates. So you've got a very political process where um, the entities that um, are going to be subject to this price regulation, they lobby, they try to get favorable terms. Um, so you've got in healthcare so much of our resource allocation uh, determined by the political system rather than a market-based system. All right, so uh, there are a couple of things that you've mentioned in this. Uh, Third-party payment, no one's really paying the direct costs. Um, the uh, uh, effective price controls when Medicare is such a huge provider and when everyone defers to it, we've just agreed that these things are the prices. And those prices are not set by the market. They're set by political considerations. Um, so those are two big ones. And then the last one that that, that I think you mentioned, sir, digging on that uh, a bit, because uh, I think that's the that was the key. And unfortunately, I... Uh, I kind of forgot what exactly that was. So let me um, uh, mention, actually, I think another important one, because those everything that we've talked about so far is on mm -hmm. the demand side of the market. Mm -hmm. The government also, so the government sort of inflates inflates demand. We've got all this these third-party payment problems. Um, we've got uh, price controls everywhere in the healthcare sector. We also have severe restrictions um, that government places on the supply side of the market. So we're artificially restricting supply. 35 states have these um, things called certificate of need laws. Mm -hmm. A certificate of need law prevents a sort of hospital from adding capacity, prevents um, sort of co competitors from coming into the market uh, and challenging the incumbents. And by the way, incumbents can sit on the boards of these certificate of need laws, um, uh, which deny permission to uh, com competitors to come into the market. Um, you've got a lot of restrictions on what medical providers can um, uh, can do. So you've got like scope of practice limitations. Uh, you've got a lot of um, uh, you know medical professionals like doctors that want to restrict. Um, what nurse practitioners or physician assistants can do. Um, so we've got sort of and, government problems on both the demand and the supply side of the market. So for the certificate need and scope of practice, I'm actually seeing a lot of stuff in the states trying to do something about that. I mean, the certificate, the, the, the hold up on certificate of need is that competitors don't want to make it easy to get or people don't want it uh, to make it easy for competitors to enter the market. They put in a lot of their political weight, but we are seeing some changes in in that around around the country. Same thing with scope of practice. Those other things, um, uh, third party payments, um, price controls at the federal government level. It feels like there's nothing. They're like that. That's those are just the world that we live in in American healthcare right now. It doesn't have to be that way, but it feels like that's like the system that we're stuck with, and no one's trying to do anything about it. Is that right? Well, and you sort of had Obamacare come in, and you know Obamacare was passed in 2010, and the motivation there was largely to make sure that everybody had access to um, affordable health coverage. Um, but mostly Obamacare was a giant expansion of the Medicaid program. So we have Medicare, which is mostly for uh, seniors and some people with disabilities. And then you have the Medicaid program, 
which is run at the state level, but where Washington provides an open-ended reimbursement of state um, uh, Medicaid expenses. Um, so you've got sort of um, on the on the demand side, you've got all of these government, you've got all of these government subsidies um, that sort of just inflate what uh, healthcare prices are um, and inflate overall spending. So if I was to give you sort of my main frustration with the American healthcare system, it's that um, we have created a whole bunch of perverse incentives so that Americans that make decisions aren't focusing on value. They're not focusing mm -hmm. on what gets us the best health in sort of the most efficient way. Um, we sort of just get all of this spending um, and sort of the power of the political power of the healthcare industrial complex um, has just set up um, a, a protection uh, from government policies uh, from competition. And when they uh, uh, when issues come up around affordability, the uh, their favored response is never to look at the regulations or the policies that have pushed up prices and spending. It's just to continue and grow subsidies uh, so that mm -hmm. the taxpayer then faces more of the burden for the rising cost of these programs. What are some of the policies that you'd like to ch see change that would deal with those perverse incentives? So I think on the demand side, the number one policy change is to return the financial control to the consumer. So if you think about Medicare reform, um, uh, and this is this is talking about the Overton window, right? This is mm -hmm. sort of a long range um, uh, policy objective, but it would be to turn the Medicare program more into the Social Security program. So the Social Security program, you know, it's got its own financing challenges because of the, the uh, baby boomer population. But it's just government cutting checks to seniors, and then the seniors get to spend the money the way that makes them the best off. So they have incentives um, to get value for that spending. So transforming the Medicare program um, to sort of this cash program for healthcare, like they'd have to, seniors would have to use it on healthcare. You'd probably have to put rules where they have to buy uh, a health insurance plan uh, with a portion of um, the the spending that they get. But where the incentives there for the enrollee to make the decisions that, that, that best work for them. Um, in the employer market, uh, and this is one of the things I worked on in the Trump administration, like one of the problems with employer-provided health insurance is that the employer is selecting the plan for all the employees. There's not another major financial product that people purchase um, that the employer decides for the employees what the best product for all the employees working uh, for that employer are. Right. So instead of the employer selecting the plan, they just provide a contribution and the contribution could get the same tax preference. Right. Employer, uh, the, the premiums for employer provided plans aren't subject to federal income tax. But the employee can then take that contribution and use it on the health coverage and health care uh, that works best for them. Uh, one other uh, uh, quick policy here, health savings accounts, health savings accounts. Um, are the way that a consumer has the best incentives to make sure that they get the value for their money because they're, the, the value of the health savings account is owned by the consumer and anything that they save 
grows with interest over time so they have it in the future for future uh, healthcare expenses. So anything that we can do to, um, on the margin, move away from the third-party payment to first-party payment um, uh, through expanded health savings accounts uh, would improve um, uh, the consumer ability to, to shop and get value. Okay, so let's dig in on that a little bit. Um, for the Medicare recommendation, again, treat it more like an entitlement program that where you're entitled to a financial contribution. And the idea for this one is like, we're going to get away from the centrally planned thing. We're going to try and uh, let local knowledge, incentives determine plans, terms, uh, uh, discounts and rates. And now someone actually has an, an incentive to try to economize on, on, on these things at at the business and consumer level. Um, so I, I can understand the theory behind that. Uh, it seems like that's the toughest one to get. Like me Medicare is so ingrained it's, uh, and it's ingrained in particular ways. Like it seems like this, this popular program, like don't, um, uh, you know, the federal government's going to be here for you to provide, um, uh, for your medical benefits when you, uh, when you reach retirement age, um, and people want that you're saying we can have that, but do it better without all these other problems. Um, why is that such a, a huge lift for the political system? Yeah, and actually it seems like we're moving in the wrong direction. Like there mm -hmm. are, um, uh, there have been proposals, former, uh, you know, former Speaker of the House, um, uh, who was also Ways and Means Committee Chairman and the Budget Committee Chairman, Paul Ryan, had legislation with Ron Wyden, who is now the um, Chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, which is the key committee in the Senate that deals with um, sort of the intersection of health and, uh, and tax issues and, and Medicare. They had a premium support proposal. Um, which wouldn't be the same as sort of what I described, where the senior gets cash and then can use it on the health care that works best for them. They would sort of have a set of um, plans that they could apply the, uh, the premium support contribution to. Um, and uh, congressional Democrats and even some Republicans have sort of walked away from this sort of premium support uh, model. And I think it is, you know, Medicare is just an issue that gets demagogued. And um, if you make, uh, uh, if there's proposals out there to reform the program, to improve the financing of the program, um, people, uh, some people claim that it's taking away sort of this Medicare guarantee where the government is going to pay for, um, uh, for anybody's uh, health expenses. Now, part of that is that the Medicare program does not work the way that most people uh, think it works. So the the traditional sort of the fee-for-service Medicare program, um, patients have a 20% cost sharing without any out-of-pocket limit. So there is, uh, you know, in, in the way that the rules are set up, there is no um, limit uh, to the consumer's financial uh, exposure in uh, fee-for-service Medicare. It's one of the reasons why most seniors buy sort of supplemental Medicare plans that provide that additional um, financial protection. Uh, it's also one of the reasons why Medicare Advantage has grown in popularity so much. So Medicare Advantage is about half of all enrollees enroll in Medic uh, Medicare enrollees are in Medicare Advantage right now. And with Medicare Advantage, the senior chooses an insurance plan 
um, that uh, uh, that works best for them. And those insurance plans can often cover services and benefits like vision and dental that traditional Medicare doesn't cover. Isn't it weird that uh, we have Medicare and uh, as as this government provided uh, uh, provided option, they set the terms, and now people are also expecting to purchase insurance on top of what is being provided. Yeah, they almost almost all seniors um, uh, do. Mm-hmm. I I I guess um, uh, to go back to trying to get more try uh, trying to to get better market incentives from the healthcare system that we've got. I mean, that is such a huge change that would need to happen at all levels of the medical service provider, because medical services tend not to operate like conventional consumer businesses. I mean, you go to the grocery store, there are prices everywhere. Uh, you ask some uh, someone, uh, you know, the car dealer, what, what this car costs, and they're going to give you an answer. You can negotiate over it, but they're going to give you an answer, and it's going to be pretty clear. Uh, you go to a medical provider and you ask what things cost, and the answer is, well, services or assistance is available if you need help. And it's like, well, okay, but what does that have to do with the price of eggs? So, like, this is a huge cultural change that actually has to happen, which government policy is like, it's encouraging some different kinds of behavior, it's encouraging other things, but like, uh, it. Are, are these are, is what you're calling for the first steps to try and change some of Let that? Or is there a little bit of encouragement here? Um, because I don't. Uh, you're right. The whole sector is um, is screwed up, and the 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 sign that it's so screwed up is that there's not transparent price information. Um, any other part of the economy, right? The sellers of the products advertise their prices. It's impossible to avoid seeing what the price is when you go and shop for a car or go to the grocery store or um, try to purchase uh, you know, uh, insurance products on- online. Um, there are um, several examples of a very simple plan design that could incentivize uh, shopping uh, uh, among consumers. And it is rather than um, uh, the insurer negotiating all these separate rates with providers, um, they set an amount. It's typically called a reference price. Um, and that is the amount they will pay for a given service, regardless of where the customer goes for that service. So there's a couple of um, uh, really prominent examples of this. One is the California uh, employee, public employee and retirement uh, plan more than a decade ago, set reference prices for orthopedic procedures, um, uh, for cataract surgery, for things that are, are shoppable. And about half of um, what we spend on healthcare uh, is sort of in this shoppable services bucket. So they set the, uh, the reference price. If consumers could go anywhere, if they went to a provider that charged above the reference price, um, the individual would owe that difference. So they had an incentive to find out what the prices were um, and to go to the providers that charge less than the reference price. Uh, when they had that incentive, consumers started shopping. Now that isn't going to surprise sort of anybody. That's sort of just common sense. The most interesting part of this is, though, the high-priced hospitals in that area 
um, didn't like the fact that they were losing customers. So they reduced prices significantly. You had average price reductions of 20 to 30% at the high priced hospitals. Um, and all the change that had to be made for that sort of, uh, sort of uh, beneficial price mechanism to work was that the plan just had to pay a set amount and make that very clear to the customer that that was what the plan was paying. They could go wherever they want, but any um, uh, residual amount above that would be the responsibility of the individual. That is encouraging, that uh, Chiang, because it does seem that in this policy area, there are some people who are working and trying to innovate. There are some people who are trying to, or at least providing some good recommendations for how to move the system forward. Uh, it seems like the biggest barrier to some of these things is um, public support. As in, like, the public debate that we're having is not about how to make the system better. It's things like, you know, do we need to become like every other country and socialize medicine or how much, you know, uh, how, how terrible it is that, that some people are facing bankruptcy over medical uh, or over their medical bills. And it doesn't seem to be like a lot of here's the system that we've got now. Here are the major problems. Here's some of the ways that we're going to solve it. These things that you're talking about. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. I mean, I think one of the one of the important um one of the important policy focuses certainly for Paragon is preserving alternatives. Like we don't want the government to just regulate all these alternatives out of existence and say, look, if there's only one comprehensive health insurance model um, and insurers and providers need to be so heavily regulated, right? So it's what can we do to preserve other options, whether it, you know, for, for coverage, like there are health sharing ministries um, that operate different than traditional health insurance um uh does there are providers that basically just opt out of third-party payment and say what we're going to do is just work directly with individuals on like a subscription uh basis so they just accept a monthly sort of retainer and then we'll take care of that family's uh health care needs um over the course of the uh the contract period um and uh, uh, it's like essential that we fight sort of all of this centralization and standardization and uh, regulation that really, I mean, has, has, has you know, um, uh, there's this nexus between big government and big industry uh, where it is the, the big industry uh, um, that really benefits from all of these rules that standardize and restrict um, the market because those increase the uh, entry costs for competitors to come in and disrupt the status quo. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is unfortunate that a lot of public policy is geared towards giving private people, uh, 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 private individuals benefits at the, at the public's expense. I think there is a lot of that going on in health insurance and in, in medical uh, provision policy. And I think, you know, some of we, uh, we've put a lot of uh, importance and respect and, and almost uh, sanctimony in our health, uh, in the ability to access medical care. And I think some people have, uh, have abused that. Uh, so we, I, want, we, we want better healthcare access. Like yeah. That's what I'm, uh, that's why I do healthcare policy, right? We want people to have better healthcare access um, and the best healthcare uh, uh, for them. 
And in order to improve healthcare access, we've got to reduce prices. Um, and uh, that means uh, in many instances, we need to undo all of these um, government programs and policies that have created such perverse incentives um, that have restricted supply, uh, the provision of care, uh, pre prevented people from paying for care uh, the way that works best for them and where they're incentivized to get um, to get value. The way that uh, you tend to break these kind of things, try and gear uh, public policy towards public benefits more, doing some of the things that you're talking about, is by just raising these, uh, raising the understanding, making the, the kind of things that you're talking about more popular so that more people want it. Politicians want to pass popular laws, even if uh, 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 they step on the heels of powerful interests. It's what the public wants. Uh, and most people accept that. And frankly, that's a good way to get some progress in society. What are some of the things that you're doing to try and make these ideas more politically feasible? Yeah, so I think um, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is building on the success of health savings accounts. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I mentioned the benefits of health savings accounts earlier, but one of the policies that Paragon has developed is um, giving uh, enrollees, on, uh, so, so low-income Obamacare enrollees get a subsidy that goes directly from the government to the health insurance company for the insurance company to reduce plan deductibles and co-payments. So we've developed a proposal um, that would allow the individual um, to get the subsidy as a direct contribution to their health savings account so they have control over the financing. Now that is, um, uh, in some way, it's, it's, it's not gonna be revolutionized the healthcare sector because we're just talking about a few million people that would benefit from this, but it is a dramatic uh, change in policy so that we're taking the subsidy away from the industry and giving it to the individual. It's sort of like school, it's the school choice analogy. What we should do for healthcare financing is apply some of the principles uh, for school choice. Um, another example is what we're trying to do on uh, Medicare reform. Uh, we think there's been a lot of success in Medicare Advantage uh, that it has, um, uh, uh, is, done so well because of the flaws with the traditional Medicare uh, program. Um, we also think there's improvements that can be made for Medicare Advantage that bring some efficiencies uh, and make sure that it costs less for taxpayers than um, traditional uh, Medicare. And Medicare Advantage is popular, right? People that uh, choose Medicare Advantage is popular, something to build on, but something that we think um, there's, there's ways to uh, reform and that a reformed Medicare Advantage can really set the stage for broader uh, reform of the Medicare program. All right. Let's say that in 20 years, you've gotten what you've wanted. What does uh, medical care look like? Um, I think it's much more uh, personalized. Um, you have individuals uh, in control of the financing. So the providers uh, and the insurers are going to have to meet the uh, demands of the individuals. Um, and I think uh, uh, assuming we have sort of radical uh, deregulation, um, we've created a regulatory climate that's conducive to innovation and the creative destruction um, that moves the ball forward in sort of every other economic sector. So we'd probably move away from this uh, huge um, 
a sort of general hospital type uh, structure for where everybody gets their healthcare benefits to sort of much more sort of, uh, specialty uh, care uh, with far more alternatives uh, for Americans on where to go to get the healthcare that works for them. Brian, thank you for coming on and good luck in your efforts to shift the Overton window. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinaw.org. That's Mackinac with a C, like the island.